0: If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and look at Jeremiah 2, which Whitney read for us. Uh, and if you're trying to find that, uh, welcome back. Hopefully many of us were here uh, last week when uh, we were talking about God's design for sex. If you were not here, I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's on our website. It's on iTunes. Uh, I would encourage you uh, to listen to that, not just to you know like go and be like, oh, how about that, but to go and see where today is coming from. Uh, this is basically uh, one, it could just be one giant talk, right? Last, last week I honestly could have just talked for like an hour and a half, uh, but then everyone would have been really upset with me and sad, and I didn't want that. And so uh, instead we kind of just split it down the middle and we had this amazing uh, view of God's design for sex. That's what we talked about all last week. And then this week, uh, as you can probably see, we're going to be talking about the ways that we have broken from that design, the way that we have brought destruction upon ourselves. Uh, And one of the best ways to kind of understand this about kind of what happened is to see this guy right here, whose name is Aaron. Okay, Now, Aaron, uh, you might recognize if you've read his book, but he is the guy, he's the hiker— who uh, back in like 04, 03, 04, uh, he went hiking and he got stuck in this uh, canyon. He got like trapped underneath a rock. And so if you can tell, uh, he's got, you know, some like prosthetic limb action going on uh, in that icy glaze that he's staring directly into your soul. Uh, and he is, though, he has that because he cut his arm off. Right? He's the guy uh, who the boulder fell on top of his right arm, and so he took out what was basically a pocket knife, or it was a little multi-tool with just a little like two and a half inch blade, and he cut his arm off, which is crazy, right? Like That's insane, right? He cut his arm off to escape, and he lived, and it's this amazing story. It was so amazing that he then wrote it. He wrote it uh, in his book, which I love that he titled, Between a Rock and a Hard Place, because... <laughs> If you can't make puns about the fact you cut off your arm, what can you make puns about? You know, like where, where is, there is no line. You know, so he wrote this book. People read it. They were amazed with it. Eventually it resulted a couple years ago where James Franco was like, I could do that. And so he goes and makes this movie called 127 Hours. That was really, really intense. I don't know if you saw it so intense, because James Franco basically just l- kind of acts out the guy's story, he goes rock climbing, and he finds this crevice, he gets trapped underneath the rock, and so the whole movie is about the 127 hours that Aaron, played by James Franco, spent under that rock, where he kind of had to escape, All right, it's a harrowing, t- a very stressful movie, you're just like, oh, don't do it, but you have to, and it's just really stressful, okay, But you leave that movie or you finish that book with basically one clear message, right? Be careful when you rock climb. Okay, that was kind of the moral (laughs) that I got from it, right? I heard it. I I would take it a step further and just say, never go outside. Okay, like that's... (laughs) That's kind of what I took away from it. Uh, but the truth is that not everyone heard that, right? Even though that was the intention of like, hey, be careful. Like, tell people where you're going. Like, make sure you're taking precautions because otherwise you have to cut your arm off. Some people saw that story and they thought, wow, that looks like a hoot. People like Wayne, all right? Wayne Richards, Amos Wayne Richards decided in his own words. Okay, I'm just going to read the quote. He said, I saw that movie about the guy that got his arm cut off, and I started reading about slot canyons, which is where he got his arm trapped. Then Wayne said, that movie really got me excited. (laughs) Because Wayne is a crazy person. And so Wayne went out to that same location, tried to find the same little slot canyon, tried climbing down it. It's like a 70-foot thing. Got 60 feet down, fell the other 10 feet, broke his leg and his like arm and stuff. He eventually was able to crawl out, was out in the wilderness for like four days or something where he was just trying to escape this can. People rescued him. They brought him back and he's okay now. Like this is after the fact. All right, so they've, they've rescued him. Uh, and the whole reason they even knew to rescue him, the whole reason they were even able to find him is because Wayne is one of 30 people. 30 people. Who have gotten trapped in that exact same canyon ever since the book came out? The whole history of that canyon up until 2005, when the book came out, there were no, no one ever got trapped, no, no one had to get rescued. The, the number was one, right? It was the one it was Aaron. since that book came out, since that movie came out in the past like seven years, 30 people. How we're all like, oh man, that looks awesome. And so they go out and they get trapped. But the best part, okay, the best part of the whole experience is that they're getting rescued by these people that live out. It's in the middle of nowhere, okay? Just out in the boon. It's like in Utah or something. And so you have to go way, way out. And so you've got this small town, very small, limited rescue group. So there's this one sheriff, all right? I love him, Kurt Taylor, all right? Kurt Taylor is the local sheriff who's always involved in all the rescue efforts. And he says, quote, there's nothing special about this canyon other than it's in the middle of nowhere, okay? <laughs> Kerr just can't quite understand what people are doing. And so he was going on, because th- they're asking him, like, well, why, do you, you know, why are they getting trapped? What's going on? He says, there's nothing special about it. He went on to say, it's not Disneyland. When God built that canyon, he didn't make it safe for people, all right? And I like to imagine that he finishes it by like spitting, you know, like something like that. <laughs> Because he lives in the middle of nowhere. Kurt Taylor, hero of our age, because he goes out and he rescues people like Wayne over and over and over again because people are hearing this story, they're reading Aaron's story, they're watching Aaron's story, and they are completely misinterpreting the point, right? They're completely misinterpreting the moral. It's, the, the point of it is, hey, be safe. Instead, people are seeing it and they're like, I want to go to the Canyon of Doom. Right? Like, that's what they want. And we look at that and we're like, that's so insane. But the truth is, that's what we do over and over and over and over again. As people, we are consistently presented with stories and ideas that are so great in their intentions, so great in their starting goal, and we grab it and then we twist it and we use it for completely the wrong reasons. We do this so often and we've done it with sex. Last week, like I said, we looked at God's original design for sex, how it was designed to be connected, how it was designed to be woven together with intimacy and commitment and sacrifice. And when sex was woven in with those pieces, as it was used as an expression of those pieces, it developed a trust and a freedom that was beautiful because God designed it in that way. Yet we have taken this idea, we've taken this amazing design, and we have twisted it. And we use it for all the wrong reasons. That's why Jeremiah, and what Whitney just read, Jeremiah was telling Israel they had done the exact same thing. That's why he told them, he's, he's saying the words of God to the people of Israel. He says, this is Jeremiah 2, if you have it open. He says, has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. He says, be appalled. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. Here they are. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water, Jeremiah is telling Israel, God is telling us, look, we have made these mistakes. We have forsaken our God for the sake of making ourselves gods, right? We talked about that a couple months ago, early in the semester, as we've been walking through this idea of culture, Of we've been looking at how does culture matter? How are we called to react to it? We've seen time and again that our problem is that our culture is designed around this one idea that I am the pūba, right? You remember that? That I am the Puba, that I am the Lord high of everything. That's what it all boils down to. The fact that our culture has said, you know what? I want to make the decisions because I know it's right, because I am God. God is telling us we have made ourselves gods. And in doing so, we have forsaken the one true God. And we have tried to hew out these cisterns and otherwise uh, make, think of it as like a pot. We have created these pots that are broken, that hold no water. We have designed for ourselves these pieces. We've taken God's original design and we said, no, 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 I can do it better. And we try to make it and it's broken and it doesn't hold water. It doesn't work. It doesn't bring life. It brings death and destruction. That's what we have done by making ourselves gods. That's what we have done in sex. We're destroying ourselves, which is so tragic because it is one of the very first pieces that God addresses. It's one of the very first core issues that God lays some ground rules because he knew it was a big deal. That's why you look in the Ten Commandments. God addresses adultery. He's addressing sex. He says, you shall not commit adultery. That's the whole verse. Exodus 2014. Just don't do it. He's saying, look, adultery, what I mean by that is do not have sex with anyone who is not your husband or your wife, according to my design for marriage, according to God's design for marriage. Do not have sex with anyone else. That's what adultery is, having sex with someone that is not your husband or your wife. And what's beautiful about this rule that kind of God lays out, what's beautiful about this commandment is that he's basically just covered basically anything you can think of in terms of sexual sins. He just laid this one rule that just, it covers everything. This morning, we're going to be talking about a few different issues. We're going to be talking about adultery specifically. We're going to be talking about homosexuality. We're going to be talking about lust. And the truth is is that they can all really fall underneath this adultery umbrella. The problem with all of those issues is that we are forsaking God. We've made ourselves gods. And we've decided, I want to have sex with whoever I want. I want to make sex about whatever I want it to be about. And in doing so, we are committing adultery. We are deviating from God's original design. Which this is a really interesting idea, right? The, the idea of adultery is super interesting in our current culture because the truth is that most believers and non-believers all kind of agree uh, that it's bad to have an affair, right? Like that's a generally accepted bad thing, a thing that you don't want to do. That's why you look at our movies, you look at our love stories, and bad guys have affairs, right? Like that jerk guy that's with the girl that we just, she's so quirky and cute, and oh, she wears glasses, you know, and we love her. (laughs) And oh, but oh, Herb, the guy she's with, he's having an affair with that other girl, and he she doesn't know about it, and oh, we hate him because of that, right? We see it where it's like you instantly are able to identify bad guy because he's in the middle of like this affair, and you're like, oh. When I was in college, we had like four channels on our TV, and sometimes that meant that we would have our TV on to the CW, okay, which is this weird channel, if you've ever seen it, CW, and it'd be on, just kind of all day, someone would leave the TV on, and so sometimes, like 2 a.m., we would see what was on the CW at 2 a.m. If you've never experienced it, let me just tell you, it's bonkers, okay? It's a crazy town. Because one of the things that they love to show is a show called Cheaters, with a Z, okay? Cheaters. <laughs> And it is so dumb. It's this whole concept where these people, they go to a camera crew and they're like, I think so-and-so's cheating on me. And they're like, let's get them. And so they set up these secret cameras and they set up these sting operations where they have like satellite feeds and like hidden mics and all this like crazy espionage, like poison dart pins or whatever. Like they're using all these pieces to catch this person. And then most of the time they do, they're like, oh, we caught, you're a cheater's with a Z, you know, like they're so, I gotcha, because they have decided, you know what, it's wrong to cheat, right? And you're rooting for the person that's getting cheated on because you're like, that's so gross. I can't believe they're being cheated on. That's why we look out at our nation. We see all the divorce, right? Many of us have experienced that in our families. We've seen divorce. And the truth is that I know that most of you that have experienced that, that have seen that, it is because of an affair. That is the number one cause for divorce in our nation is affairs, Sex outside of that marriage, having an affair. And we look at that and we say, you know what? That is grounds for divorce. Our court system says, you know what? You had an affair, boom, you lose like all your rights. Because they are saying you're unfaithful because you broke that vow. Because our nation as a whole, our cultural, national conscience at some level recognizes affairs are bad. Adultery is bad. Except when we don't believe that. That's what's so interesting. You see, we're we're so set against it, except when we're not. Because for as many bad guys in our movies and our stories that have affairs, there's good guys too. We talked about last week. Notebook. This story that we love, this love story that's supposed to last the ages. The big hinging moment of that story is her and Ryan Gosling, they have an affair. And we say, yeah. And they're the good guys. Because even though we're against affairs, I mean, sometimes we're not. That's why you look out at our nation and, and we see the divorce rate and it's kind of been hovering around 50% for a while. But the truth is, is that, I man, that, that's not an accurate display of our, our national marriage as a whole, right? That's not a good uh, number to look at because the truth is that even though divorce is kind of about the same, you can't be like, oh, God's working in America in our marriages because the truth is is that our rates of people just cohabitating, of people just moving in together, shacking up, is exploded because in our cultural and our national conscience, we've decided, you know what? The new order for a relationship is you date, you sleep together, you move in together, and then maybe you get engaged. And then if you really want to have kids, you get married. You marry, married and then you have kids. That's the new order. You see it constantly. I see it constantly in people's lives, in our, in our stories, and all over the place. That's that big romantic moment that you see in shows or movies where it's like, I think I'm going to ask you to move in with me. And you're like, oh boy. But that's adultery. Do you get that? You're having sex with someone who is not your husband, who is not your wife. God says, don't do that. We claim to hate it, but we use it. And the truth is, is that even sometimes as Christians, man, I mean, we fall into that trap. We think to ourselves, you know what? No, like, uh, I, I know that God wants to connect with that intimacy. Right? I know he wants to connect with that commitment and that sacrifice, that trust. I know that those things are supposed to be there. But the truth is that I have that with my boyfriend. Or I have that with my girlfriend. We're about to get engaged, or we are engaged. We have that connection. We're committed. We're we're married in God's eyes, right? Like I've have jumped through those same hoops. When well, my wife and I were like going towards engagement, as we were engaged, man, you do everything in your mind, everything possible, even as a walking believer, to think of okay, well, well, maybe what is marriage? You know, like, do we need a certificate? Like, maybe God just is like, you're married because you love each other. Like, oh, okay, cool. Then we can have sex, right? Because that's the whole reason, right? Because you go through these crazy loopholes and you try to find these ways to work it around because you really just want to have sex. And you're like, okay, well, how can we justify that uh, and still hold it together with our faith? And okay, here it is. We're, we're married in God's eyes. I've seen it so often where people decide, you know what? We are committed to each other. We're not married, but but we're still committed in our hearts. But the truth is, is that when you do that, man, it it doesn't play out well, ever, ever. Not only are you more likely for that relationship to break down, either pre-marriage or after marriage, not only does your divorce rate go up like 60% if you sleep together before you're married, but I have seen with people very close to me where they slept together, engaged. They're walking believers. Said, you know what? We're married and God. Like we're still committed to each other. We love each other. God would approve of this. I've seen it play out multiple times. And every single time they get into marriage, I talk to them about it. And they say, you know what? That was a horrible decision because there is so much trust that is lost when we did that. Because in the back of my mind, I know that my husband, I know that my wife couldn't wait, that they didn't have the self-control to just hold off for like eight more months. They didn't have that self-control. They didn't care about me enough to wait. And now I doubt them. Now that our trust is broken. Now I find myself more worried about them having affairs. I find myself more worried about them leaving me. I find myself insecure about my sexuality, about our sexual experience together. I have guilt. I've seen it. I promise you that's what it leads to. So don't bind that lie. Don't believe that you can somehow create commitment and all those pieces outside of marriage because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Our cistern is broken. But the truth is, is that our God is so gracious. Right last week, we looked at the idea that God loved us so much that he knew us so well that we were going to be broken for all of eternity unless he did something. He knew that. He had that intimate knowledge of us. And yet he was so committed to us that he sent his son to die, to atone for those sins, that he performed the ultimate sacrifice of his life. And after doing so, if I am placing my faith in Christ, in his death and resurrection, I then find freedom. I trust him. I find freedom. I find freedom from these pieces we're going to get to here in a few minutes. So knowing that gospel, knowing that truth, allows me now to move towards God's design. Even if I've had mistakes in my past, I can move towards God's design again. So I would challenge you, guys, how are you protecting and caring and communicating with women now? How can you take this desire that you have? How can you take this idea and implement it now, even if you're not married, even if you're not in a relationship? How can you move towards that by communicating, trusting, building into yourself these habits? Girls, how are you trusting and encouraging and understanding guys now? How can you build people up of the opposite gender? How can you build up those people? How can you build into yourself this this habit, this idea of a healthy relationship? We're going to spend a few moments in prayer. And as we do that, I would encourage you, think about these things. I'm going to kind of guide us. It's going to be a little bit different. But we're going to think and we're going to pray about this idea. We're going to realize that now is our time to work through the insecurities you might have. Now is the time to work on those patterns, those relational concepts. Because thanks to God, thanks to his gospel, we are free to thrive, even in the midst of maybe previous mistakes. So let's pray. Lord, we are humbled before you. God, we ask that as we hear the fact that adultery is rampant, that God, maybe we have even crossed those lines. God, even as we see the destruction in other people's lives, God, we just pray that you would... Be strong in our weakness, that God, you would bring hope where there is only despair. If you would, take a moment and just, just pray for either yourself or maybe someone you know who has already committed adultery. Pray that God would give you, you or that person hope. Pray that God would love, bring reconciliation, restore that person. If you would take a moment and and pray that you would be moving towards healthy relationships right now. Pray for yourself. Pray that that God would give you the opportunity to build up and encourage future spouses, that, that you would have an opportunity to live out what God has called us to live, even if you're not married yet. Ask that God would start building into you that discipline, that habit. Lord, we thank you for your words. God, we, we ask that maybe you've stirred something up in one of our hearts. God, we pray that you wouldn't just let it settle back down, but that, God, you would let this moment start further conversations, discussions. Even if they're hard, God, we pray that you would bring them. We pray this all according to your will. Amen. Now, uh, we have uh, my good friend here, Jared. He looks awesome, right? Jared is here uh, because Jared uh, has uh, incredible wisdom to offer. God, Jared uh, has been uh, working uh, in a, the realm of homosexuality and kind of in that whole area, and I'm going to let him explain it way better than I can, uh, but he's just going to share with us sort of some wisdom in that area uh, because, honestly, he's way more equipped to do so than I am. Uh, so
1: Jared Meyer, he's awesome, I, I promise. Appreciate it. So I'm really glad to be here, and it's really, um, I appreciate the fact that um, this church cares enough to define what sexuality is biblically, and and from that perspective, is able to to engage the culture effectively. And so I'm going to come from a little bit different perspective, in that I don't think I need to convince most of you that homosexuality is not God's design um, for sex, If we need to have that conversation, find me afterwards and we can discuss that. But more of my plan or my goal today is is, is to start having the conversation. I mean, This may be the first time that many of you have even heard the words homosexuality from the front of a stage and and in a way to intentionally address it. And so for for some of you, I hope that after today you recognize that there are safe people, that you can be open and honest about your struggle. I'm convinced there are, are, are quite a few of you in here and that's okay and for, for many others, um, that this can be the start of us, and I'm meaning us as a church, to be able to address this in a way. The reality is that the culture is winning. And when I say culture, I'm saying external society is winning um, in the battle for, for those who are struggling with this issue. And so we see it permeating our culture in so many ways, whether that's legislation, whether that's just within our community, meeting more people that, are, that deal with this or whether it's in our, in our entertainment. And so just by a show of hands, I'm just curious, how many of you have somebody near to you, um, either actively in the lifestyle, or somebody who, who struggles openly and honestly as a believer, who, who, who's living with that? Okay. My guess is if everyone was really honest with you, every single one of your hands would be raised. You know people who deal with this, I guarantee you. And it's a very, it's a, it's a very difficult discussion to have. Some of you are probably pretty pretty awkward right now. I kind of wondering, okay, where are we going to go with this? What, what is he going to say? It's just a really uncomfortable um, topic because the church hasn't addressed, hasn't addressed it historically. And in many ways, um, I think the church has been largely silent in this issue. And and like I said, I think that's the reason why in many ways the society is kind of winning. Christians have had very little substance to offer those who are struggling with this issue. And what they're hearing, or what folks who do struggle with this, and I'm going to use um, so homosexuality. I'm going to use that, but I'm also going to use um, SSA, same sex attraction, um, just because we don't want to be for those who are struggle with this. It's not a matter of defining themselves as a homosexual; it's somebody who struggles with same gender attraction or SGA SSA, kind of kind of interchangeable. So you'll hear that. So just in case you're wondering what that is, but the church has largely been quiet on on what do we do about this. Obviously, it's real. We see it everywhere, but what do we do about this? How, like, what voice should we have um, in this issue? And I think the, the main message, though it hasn't been, uh, hasn't been a positive one, but the main message that those who struggle with this issue is that you're choosing something that is unnatural and that you should clearly know it, so just stop it. And the problem with this message is that it's contrary to the gospel, <laughs> The, the gospel is that Christ in us, the hope of glory, so that the Christ is, Christ is in us, transforming us, changing us, making us know, making us whole. It's not about you need to clean up your act. And so what has happened, for those who struggle with this issue, they're looking for somebody who's more understanding, and they haven't found the church to be that place. And so what I hope that we can respond appropriately to that. And when I say we, I'm not just talking about um, a couple of us, I'm really talking about all of us, that we all have um, a response into this. Just to kind of give you an idea of, of my background, so I work with an organization in town um, called New Hope Ministries, and it's part of our larger organization out of Dallas called Living Hope Ministries. And it's cl- certainly the largest in Texas and one of the largest in the world, um, and there's really folks from all over the world that at some level engage within um, Living Home Ministries, and they've had some significant impact um, in many different places. But they're speaking order into chaos. And that's kind of how we, de- we, we define, um, for, for men who struggle with this, it's, it's an issue of masculinity. And we define masculinity as speaking order into chaos. That's the role of a man. And that's what's in many cases those who are struggling are, are dealing with is I don't feel like I have that opportunity to speak order into chaos. But we as a church, as, as an organization that God has put together to declare his truth, we have an opportunity to speak order into chaos into this issue. And so I want to talk about some practical things today. Uh, I want to talk about some real things that, that you can take away and really helps you understand kind of this, this issue at, at, at a greater level the, the biggest thing is that we need to develop a healthy biblical ethic on what sex is. And, and that's happened the last couple of weeks. And from that, we need to understand the way that those things have gone awry, which is the discussion today. And that there is something that's happening in our heart. It's not just about us choosing, like, oh, I'm going I'm to choose sin. There's something that's happening in us that, that kind of leads us into thinking that there's something better than Jesus. And that something better looks different for everybody. Obviously, not everyone's dealing with homosexual issues, but that something that some, seems real in your life and keeps you coming back to that same junk over, over, and over again. And so in reality, those who are struggling with SGA, SSA, they're really no different than, than, than the rest of you. They're dealing with a lot of the same heart issues that you're dealing with that they keep going back to. And so some practical things to kind of understand that folks are dealing with is a lot of times, especially among men, there's just a general sensitive nature among those who deal with this issue. And so to hear, just stop it. First of all, most of us don't respond well to that, let's be honest. But somebody who is sensitive in nature, that's going to be something that's just going to go over the top of their head. And so in dealing with that, there's an insecurity in the way that they often will relate to others of the same sex because they feel other than. That's a, that's a term that we use within the ministry a lot. I feel other than. I feel other than because I'd not like that person who likes sports or who likes to wrestle or who likes to just joke about certain things. I just don't get those things. And so you feel other than. And so that further alienates you among, um, and I'm, I'm speaking more from the men's perspective just because that's more what I deal with, um, the, the women's issues are, are a little bit different, and I'll, I'll address those at some level too. But that you just don't feel like you can fully engage within that environment. And so you feel other than, so then you're just further alienated. And then oftentimes, in most cases, it's a complex issue of relationship issues that have developed over your entire lifetime. And so it could be that you were abused emotionally, abused sexually, that you had an absent father that you had just a lack of childhood friendships at some level, and that has an impact. And so this has done something in your heart, and I could speak an hour on this topic, so I'm just covering the surface. And there's a a great talk by Ricky Shillette, who is the the director of Living Hope in Dallas, livehope.org, and and, and he kind of defines and describes the origin of of homosexuality. And I'm just touching um, just a little bit of it but there's a lot of factors and a lot of them being relational that kind of of produce this in someone so that it doesn't feel like you're choosing something that is unnatural. It feels like it's a part of you. And so if you take home anything today, it's that even though it is not God's design and it is not actually natural, it does feel like it's something that is in you and that you can't fully control, just in the same way that you have areas of sin um, in your life. And so... We have to, and I, when I say we, I'm not just saying an organization that focuses on this issue, but we as a church have to develop a compassion towards toward this issue and those who are struggling with this issue. This has to be something that we have an open conversation about. That's not so swept under the rug that we can't talk openly about it. And for years and years and years, folks who struggle with this have said nothing because they don't feel like this is a safe place to say it. And this should be the safest place for them to say it. And that's, that's on us. And I'm not, that's not a guilt trip at all, because there's, the reality is that five years ago, I didn't know how to deal with this. And I was in that same position. And so, But we as a, as a church have an obligation to be able to speak order into chaos in this, in this area. And to really love and, and compassionately show that those folks really aren't that different. <laughs> They're like us, and we can walk alongside them in this area. So how can, what are some things, what, how can we relate to folks who struggle with, with this essay? One, don't be scared of the issue. Like I said, it's not that different than, than the rest of the things a lot of us struggle with. Be honest about your own issues. A lot of us aren't vulnerable. We think our lives are at least enough in control that we can uh, at least put forward a face that is good. And so who needs to really know what's going inside of us? But that we learn a level of vulnerability. And when someone sees that we're vulnerable, we're open, we expose our broken areas, then there's gonna be a, you're going to be a safer person for somebody to come to. Be friends with those who you know struggle. That's a big thing. is because as soon as someone exposes that they struggle, there's this oh, nobody's really going to interact with me now because they know me, and because they know me, they're going to hate me. They're not going to love me. They're not going to understand me. There's nothing that I can do to make them understand this issue. And so if you take an intentional approach to befriending somebody that has been open and vulnerable and real with you, that goes a long way toward toward their healing. And then ultimately, you're pointing them to Jesus. You're not pointing them to heterosexuality. You're not pointing them to a way of... of sex that is the right way, you're pointing them to Jesus because ultimately our satisfaction only lies in Jesus. Making somebody straight is not going to bring any sort of fulfillment or ultimate um, satisfaction in their hearts. So you're pointing them to Jesus. That's going to be the goal of of, of your counsel and your friendship. And at a very practical level, don't make gay jokes. That is the fastest way for you um, to completely destroy a relationship, and, and expose your insensitivity um, towards other folks who, who, who deal with, with things like that. And the reality is you don't know many who struggle with that, and so be on the safe side. Just don't make jokes. I, can't, I know that sounds like something so little, but I can't tell you how far that goes um, as far as just being able, somebody being comfortable um, in, in coming to you. And then set up boundaries in those friendships. That's <laughs> an awkward thing to, to kind of talk about, but it's important um, for, for, for you to talk about those things, to set up boundaries so that you don't put your brother or sister at, at risk. And don't be surprised. Like I said, there are many of you probably struggle with this in here. Some of you have probably been open and honest with others. Some of you have never told a soul your parents don't know, a friend doesn't know, your pastor doesn't know. And just know that there are safe places, and this place is one of them. I know, Jacob, I'm sure is a safe place for you to go. I'm sure there are others within this ministry that is, that's a, safe, that is a safe place for you to go. But if you struggle with this, please, 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 please don't live with this alone. You're heading toward destruction. And you're heading toward a place that you cannot um, control. You need Jesus, and you need people to walk alongside you, and that's the purpose and the function of the church. So please, find me afterwards. Find somebody that you trust I think you'll be surprised in many cases that folks are a lot more compassionate and loving than, than you realize. So please do not live with this alone. This is not something that you should be caring. You need to be known. That's the way that God's designed community that we be known among others within the church. And so if it's something that you're more interested in, I'm going to stick around. Um, come, feel free to come talk to me. But. There's a slide, I believe, that has um, some contact information. Check out the website. It has a lot of great information, and you can learn more. Um, Brock at livehope.org, obviously, that's not me. That's actually the director of the College Station Ministry, and he can answer any questions. But I I hope um, I don't want to walk off this stage without you realizing that this is a real thing. This is a real thing for those of you who do not struggle, but have friends who do live with this. And it's a real thing for those of you who do struggle. And I just want to say there's hope. There's, there's great hope for you. Um, that's the message of Jesus. That's the mes- message of the gospel. Um, it's the mystery of the gospel. That's Jesus in us, um, the hope of glory. So I really appreciate your time. And I just want to lead um, us in a time of prayer. Um, I'll lead us first, and then I'll kind of lead us through, um, kind of as we did um, previously, just as a time for, of, of guided prayer as well. So, Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity just to, just to speak on this. And, and um for a church that says this is something real, and this is something that we want to be a part of um, as far as finding the solution and how the church can be a place that, that speaks um order into chaos in a society that has a completely different definition of what this is. And and so Lord give us um Lord give us grace where we fail and where we don't do that well, and lead us um by your spirit to be compassionate and loving and kind and generous towards those who do struggle, that we would recognize that their, their struggle is, very, is really no different than our own, and that really we are, we are broken people who just need, who, who need you. And so we ask for you to, um, to really just speak to those who do, who are wrestling with this, who maybe have never sold, told a soul. I ask that you give them confidence to speak to someone, to find somebody safe for them to speak to, And for you just to be at work in their heart to bring redemption in a a broken area. And now I just want each of you to pray. To pray for one, what's your role in this? How can you be compassionate and loving towards those who struggle? And if you do know somebody who does struggle, how have you been intentional in pursuing a relationship with them? And then pray that the church be The place, or be kind of the guiding force that really speaks into this issue um, in this community, in this country, and really in the rest of the world. Father, again, just thank you for your goodness, um, and thank you for leading us and shaping us and guide us. Thank thank you for sex and the way that you have defined it. It is good. And we want to live um, within the realm that you have created, um, sex, and and where we fail, uh, we just ask for forgiveness, and we ask just that you, you God would, your Spirit would 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 guide us into greater holiness and to greater life, Father. And you is where we find life, and so that, I just pray that we find ourselves there. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well,
0: uh, we. Uh, realize that, man, there, there are a lot of pieces and Jerry brought up a great point. Like even as we kind of wrap up with kind of our last little uh, realm of sexual destruction, I I would encourage you just think about, uh, people to talk to, whether it's someone that you know is struggling in it and you can address it or, or maybe have them listen to a talk, this one or another one that you know of. Uh, maybe you are struggling in one of these areas. I would encourage you talk to me, uh, talk to Jerry, talk to one of our interns. Um, Find me after the service. Go to the Welcome Center. Just give us a howdy. Let us know because um, we know that this is not something that we just like give you 10 minutes from a stage and you're like, oh, okay, done. Like there's so much more to it. So please, please, please talk to us. Let it be a conversation, a dialogue. We don't want it to just be words that we throw at you. And part of that is because we know that at some level, all of us, are in this, where all of us have experienced one of these pieces, whether it's adultery, right, which we hate to call it that, but that's what it is, whether it's homosexuality, which our culture attacks us for even hinting that that's wrong, but it is, or maybe it's lust, maybe it's this idea uh, that you are taking sexuality, and again, you are taking God's amazing design of commitment and sacrifice, knowledge, and what you're basically doing is making it all about you. Okay, that's what lust really is. The same way that adultery is just sleeping with someone who is not your wife or, or practicing any sort of sexual act with someone who is not your husband or your wife. Lust is taking sexuality and making it selfish, making it all about you, twisting God's original design of a holy desire, a selfless sacrifice. You're taking that and you're building your own broken cistern. That's why Jesus calls it out big time. Matthew 5 is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about all these different things. He kind of has this pattern where he's like, you've heard it said this, 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 but I tell you, this, this, this. That's why Jesus says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, right? So what we just read. Exodus 20, one of the Ten Commandments. You've heard that. Jesus says, you have heard that, you know that, and you practice it. He's saying, most of you Israelites, most of us today, man, we know. We're like, okay, yeah, I'm not going like, to have adultery or anything like that, right? I'm not going to enter into those things. Like That's where I draw my line. He says, but... But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Jesus is addressing this idea of lust. He's addressing this internal thought process that all of us have guys and girls. Okay, we're going to get into that here in a second. But he's saying all of us, we are entering into this idea of lust. We have this internal twisting of God's design, the cistern that we are building inside of our minds, where I look upon a man, I look upon a woman, I look upon someone out there, and I make it all about me. I have this sexual idea. and Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's mental. And But Jesus knows He knows that this issue is so heavy, so crucial that he speaks with such extreme language saying, you know what, if your eye, if you're seeing someone, if you're being visually stimulated, you should tear your eye out because he says this is a huge deal because Jesus recognized the fact that lust, what's so dangerous about it is that it is just the starting point. That it is just the beginning. It's the launch pad. That if we allow it to control us, it's going to wreck our lives. Because it's the, it's the root, right? It's, it's the very beginning. It's the starting point. I had a buddy uh, back in high school and college and stuff, and he was hilarious. His name was Jonathan, and he was awesome. Because he was the guy, he was the friend who would do anything, like he's the guy who would, like, he was very athletic, and so he would just, like, go on these, like, he would, like, climb up crazy rock cliffs and do crazy stuff, wakeboard, like, he was just, he was a crazy guy. He was awesome, though. And and he would just do anything. And so at one point, uh, we were in the parking lot of our high school, and we're just kind of hanging out, staying around, talking, and Jonathan uh, is on the back of this truck, and he's kind of sitting there, and he's like, you know what? He says, I could totally backflip off of this truck. I'm like, I don't know, Jonathan. That I mean, I know you're pretty athletic, but that's a pretty extreme. He's like, no, I think I can do it. I think I can backflip off this truck. So he stood on the, he let down the tailgate, stood on the back, kind of, you know, saw how it was going. He's got like, you know, like a foot and a half between him and the ground. He's like, I, I think I can backflip off this truck. So he jumped and flipped, and we were like, wow, that's amazing, because he was like making the full flip, and we'd seen him do tons of backflips before, uh, but what we didn't anticipate uh, was that uh, Jonathan did not jump quite far enough away from the truck as he was doing his backflip. Uh, so as he was circling around, uh, that, that darn old tailgate uh, was still there. Uh, and so his head just, boom, just smacked directly into the tailgate, which then, that kind of throws off all of your inertia and movement. Uh, so then he just falls directly into the ground, right? So flip, boom, boom, like just, and he's down. And we're like, oh, no. The Lord has called him home. Like this is, like at least he was doing what he loved. You know, like we, were, but we were worried. We we're like, oh my gosh, like what's, what's gonna happen? And he's just laying there on the ground. He's like, oh, I'm like, okay, good, groaning is good, right? It's, he's alive. His lungs are there. You know, like we know what's going on. And, and so we kind of pull him over. Like, dude, you okay? He's like, oh, I could, I don't think I could backflip. for that's right. We're like, yeah, no, you couldn't, right? But the truth was, the, the dangerous part was the fact that he, in his mind, though, right, he was looking at it, he's like, I could do this. And so we did it. He had that starting point, and none of us stopped him. At any point, when he's like, I think we could, I could do this, none of us were like, no, <laughs> right? Instead, so we were like, no, maybe, because like, we kind of wanted to see him do it. And so we allowed that starting point to take over, and he then acted on it. And the truth is that lust, that internal thought process that we have, that is our starting point. That's why Jesus says, stop it. Tear out your eye. Kill it right at the start, because lust will destroy you. Men and women, lust will destroy you. With guys, we've talked, oh my gosh, the church is the place to just go and hear about how guys are struggling Physically with lust, right? We talk about pornography and masturbation. We talk about those issues. We've talked about them so much. And it's true. Right? Those are good things to address. And it is still, still a struggle. That physical desire, that physical lust that you act on by viewing things or watching things. Jesus says, stop. But what's even more tragic is that we are taking this thing for guys that it is definitely a physical lust. But we, it is increasingly becoming a mental game. Where it's not just this physical desire, it's becoming this mental twisting, this cistern. C.S. Lewis has this quote that's intense, but he's addressing this idea of lust. And he says, when we say of a lustful man prowling the streets that he wants a woman, he says, strictly speaking, a woman is just what he does not want. He wants a pleasure for which a woman happens to be the necessary piece of apparatus. Lewis is very bluntly addressing this, speaking truth into this matter, saying, you know what? It's not just this physical, like, oh, I want that. He's saying you are twisting God's design in such a way that you no longer see women as people. You see them as objects. That your lust is so self-focused that you don't care anything about the other person involved. Why we still hear stats like all these women involved in pornography, 60 to 80% of them all been sexually abused their whole lives. Hard facts. And we hear that and we're like, we still go home. Some of you are still going to go home today and have that in your life. Because it's so selfish. It's so twisted. And the truth is that guys are in it and girls are too. It's increasingly physical. Recent study, they were asking guys and girls, like 18 to 26, if they had ever used pornography, if they'd used it, like viewed it intentionally. Something, you know, like 85% of guys, 30% of women, 30% said, yep, one out of three. Because this is an increasingly physical struggle. But it's always been mental. It's definitely mental for our women. Because I tell you, you just look at our love stories. I keep ragging on the notebook. I promise I don't hate it that much, but I keep bragging on it. But it is a perfect example where women, we have this idea that they are bringing lust. They are twisting sexuality in such a way that there's always a love triangle, right? That's like the biggest thing now. It's not just in the notebook. You look at anything with a female, strong female protagonist. My wife, she loves reading like young adult fiction novels, okay? so like anything where it's like, it's the future, and there's no food, and what are we gonna do? Like, right? I don't know. She loves that. And nine times out of ten, if there's a female protagonist, I can, like, I would bet my dog on the fact that, that will, there will be a love triangle at some point, probably over the course of the entire novel. She has read, I can just name off the top of my head, four different series out of like five or six that she's read recently. Four that the girl always has some sort of love triangle. Are these guys vying for attention? One of the most famous ones, obviously, is Twilight. Another one, Hunger Games, right? You see these, I, these women who are these strong female protagonists, and they have this love triangle. You've got Edward and Jacob, and they're like, I love her more. And then Jacob's like, no, I love her more. Arr! And they're like, they're going back and forth. And it's this big deal. You see the same thing in Hunger Games. One guy's like, I've known her a long time. I love her more. And the other one's like, no, I loved her secretly. I love her more. And, and they're just fighting Back and forth. And women are like, yes. Like, that's what they want. (laughs) That's what they want because they have made, they've taken this idea of sexuality, they've taken this idea of a relationship, and they've made it so selfish. They've twisted it so much that they look at it like, ooh, I wish that two different people were just so obsessed with me that they fight over me. Do you see how twisted that is? Do you see how broken that cistern has become? That we take what should be a beautiful relationship of love and commitment, and it's there. But our society said, no, but one isn't enough. It needs to be two. It needs to be multiple. There should be fighting. There should be this conflict arising in the fact that people love you so much because you're so special and you're so beautiful. It's so twisted, and it's so broken, and guys and girls are consistently finding themselves in that, where you are taking the self Focus, you're building the selfish mindset that I promise you will be so destructive in your future relationships. I mean, if you cannot honor your boyfriend or girlfriend now, if you're in a relationship, if you can't honor them now, I promise you, you will struggle with dishonoring them, cheating on them, using them later. Promise. Even if you wind up getting married, you will still struggle. You will have if you're selfish now, it's gonna stay that way. A ring on your finger doesn't change that. If you are making sexuality all about yourself right now, if you have that selfish focus, you are in for a huge wake-up call. If you're not in a relationship, but you still just think sexuality is about you. When you are in a relationship, when you do get married, maybe you know god willing you maintain your purity you man you just stay pure in your relationship don't commit adultery eventually get married i promise you if you are still holding on to these selfish ideas as soon as that marriage hits you are in a world of pain cuz there's sacrifice there's commitment there's knowledge it's not about you it's not But in the midst of that brokenness, again, there's a God who loved us, who sent his son to die for us. As Jared was saying with such beauty, there's there's this hope of glory. There's this Christ within us who gives us a freedom, a freedom from this potentially overwhelming issue. Because it's so internalized that oftentimes we find ourselves just obsessing about it and we use it as just the, our identity. But the truth is is that Romans 6 tells us that just as we died with Christ, when, we put my, when I put my faith in Christ, I died with him and I live with him. Meaning I have freedom. I'm no longer a slave of sin. I now have the opportunity to put into my life accountability and transparency and boundaries. I can do those things through the power of the Spirit through the faith that I've placed in Christ. So please see the brokenness, but please see the hope. We're going to enter into a little bit more worship, a little bit more prayer. I would encourage you as we do this Please see the brokenness, but see the hope. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you are strong, that God, you are unafraid of our depravity, that God, you see the things that we have done. God, you see our thoughts. God, you know our hearts and yet you love us unconditionally. God, I thank you for that fact. Lord, I pray that we would see that, that God, we would find hope in that. That Lord, it would then motivate us to grow closer to you. That God, we would not just wallow in our sin or in our guilt, but that God, we would strive to seek you. That God, we would allow you to cultivate us. Got to draw us to yourself. If you would, take a moment right now just ask the Lord. Ask Him, how can you be pursuing Him in the midst of maybe the brokenness that you're experiencing, the brokenness that you see in other people's lives? Ask the Lord, how can you best pursue Him in this moment? And if you would, just Ask the Lord to start conversations, to, to give you the courage, the boldness to talk to someone, a friend, uh, or someone in your Bible study, or someone here, to, or to me. Ask the Lord to give you that boldness and that courage to start a conversation about the struggles in your life. Ask the Lord to stir something in your heart, to use it to change who you are.